other's gang. Two sisters, both curious and strange. I'm like a duo and they witty from the brain. It's the magic hour, Mercedes and Jay. Greetings, fellow Earthlings. What's up, boys and babes? Welcome to the Magic Hour. I'm Mercedes Terrell, and with me, per usual, my partner in shine, my sister from another mister, Jade Bryce. What's up, Jade? Hello, Magic Mob. Hi, Mercedes. Hey. I'm glad to be here with you guys today. And before we get into the show breakdown, can I just quickly say that we are so, so grateful to all of you listeners out there who are taking the time and effort to subscribe rate and review us yes we're already hitting really big goals we had for this show and we couldn't have done it without you guys so thank you so much seriously though how did we get so damn lucky we have the most amazing listeners ever um so thank you guys you guys really do go above and beyond to show us love and so please just know we appreciate you so much enough of the mushy stuff so on with the show in today's episode, we will be picking the brain of a man who is most known for his expertise in college fraternity culture since he literally wrote the book on it. He's a New York Times bestselling book at that, might I mention. And we'll definitely get into that a little bit more during the interview. But maybe the coolest thing about this interview with Ross Bolin is that although he's known for his extremely comical and downright raunchy books uh, or book and website, both aptly named Total Frat Move. He didn't shy away in the least when we asked him to get deep with us during this episode. So I think you guys will enjoy that. We'll cover topics from mental health to conquering addiction to brand building and entrepreneurship. This one really covers it all, folks. So we're really excited to share this episode with you listeners today, especially since the topics we'll be covering are very near and dear to both Jade and I. And of course, after the interview, we'll be leaving you guys with a magic trick to integrate into your lives this week. So look out for that one. Yeah, and I have a really good magic trick for this one. So I'm looking forward to passing it along. Okay, let's get into this interview, shall we? We shall. Let's do it. As I mentioned earlier, today's guest is a New York Times bestselling author, He's the host of the Ross Bolin podcast, as well as the host of the number one Game of Thrones podcast in the realm, Oysters, Mm -hmm. Clams and Cockles, which is just fun to say. This guy (laughs) is, he's quite the entrepreneur. Honestly, Ross, you've got such a long list of brands and ventures. It was pretty tough for me to fit it all into this intro. So... Without further ado, let me introduce you to the show, Ross Bolin, boys and babes. What's up? What's yeah, up? Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I've never done a I've never done a Skype podcast before, so this is exciting. Technology, technology. I, we're honored. Yeah. So, Ross, um, I'm just going to be upfront with you and honest with you on this one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you had us on your show a few weeks ago while we were in Austin doing our little press tour for the Magic Hour. And before getting to meet you, I think both Jade and I regrettably decided that you were this like, quote unquote, quote, frat guy, whatever that means, yeah. and kind of planted that stereotype on you, which is, by the way, so lame of us to do because of all people, Jade and I, having been, you know, in the modeling game for so long and having been victims ourselves of being stereotyped and put in very limiting boxes for our entire careers. We should have known better than to read a book by its cover. So 
We're 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 sorry about that. And we we're slightly worried well, that when we went it, on your show, we were going to, you know, want to stay very surface level. But we were pleasantly survi- surprised that uh, you were down to dive deep with us. So thank you for that. It makes me happy to hear you say that, though, because it's <laughs> um, like that is definitely a stigma that I deal with and will deal with forever. And I mean, I think there was a point where I probably fell into that box um, at least a little bit. And I mean, I'm okay with that. Like it's, it's part of my past. It is what it is, but no, I certainly do not fall into that box anymore. And it can be easy for people to just assume that I'm just going to be this douchebag frat guy kind of character, uh, when I'm not. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, you're totally not. And we're, we're glad you're on our show and what, what we're going to get in today is exciting. I think a lot of our listeners are going to learn a lot from it. Yes. Me too. So, Ross, could you give us a quick rundown of how you ended up with the number one college comedy website on the internet, a New York Times bestselling book, and several very popular podcasts? Can you maybe just walk us through a brief timeline of all that? Yeah, I'll give you like the shortest possible version. So I went to college um, with the two guys who started this company called Grandex. And when they started the company, their one property was TotalFratMove.com known as TFM um, at its at its height. And it kind of started out as this website where it was just one-liner frat guy jokes, like, you know, did a beer bong and got a blowjob, TFM, just the dumbest possible, you know, base level humor. Um, but those, those little one-liners did really, really well on social media to the point that TFM became a huge brand. And they had the ability to hire me straight out of school, as their first employee at the company that I still work for um, almost eight years now it's called Grandex and Grandex was able to utilize total frat move uh, to blow everything else up that we do, including the podcast, including some, uh, some e-commerce stuff that we've done over the years. And now the most current iteration of the company that you see is, is the one revolving around what you guys are focusing on now too, which is, which is podcasting and audio content. And so I, I started with my game of Thrones show oysters, clams and cockles. That's where I kind of delved into the audio realm. And like, it's so funny because I've done hundreds of episodes of podcasts now and I'll go back and listen to myself from the first show I ever did. And I sound completely different. Like I just wasn't comfortable talking. Like it's such a weird experience having yourself recorded. Yeah. Um, for the first time or whatever. So we've already thrown away yeah, a couple th- of our episodes yeah. <laughs> for the same reason. So, so this is, uh, so this is like what I do now as a profession, which is bizarre for somebody who like, I just have never really known, you know, what, what it was that I was going to be drawn to and end up doing yeah. as a career. And this is mm-hmm. definitely it. Like audio content, um, video is great too, but typically I just <laughs> do audio. Uh, <laughs> I have a face for radio, and uh, it, uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. So the Game of Thrones show took me to a level of exposure where I was able to launch my own show, um, the Ross Boland podcast, which is what I focus on now, um, primarily since we're in the off-season for Game of Thrones. Once season eight comes back on, I'm just, I guess I'm just not going to sleep anymore. It's going to be interesting to see how I try to make that work timing-wise, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm getting to meet a lot of fun new people like you guys. I wouldn't have ever met y'all or talked to y'all. 
uh, if this wasn't what I did for a living. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm enjoying yeah. it. Yeah, cool. It is the funnest part. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, so having been involved in so much of that fraternity lifestyle, and even just because you live in in Austin, Texas, which is known for its nightlife and is widely known as a party town, how has drugs and alcohol played a role in your life and where are you with that currently? Oh my God. We need like several episodes (laughs) of podcasts um, to go through. Like I'll I'll give you the shortest version again. Um, It's always played an enormous role. Even now I've been sober or dry. I've been dry for just over a year, like a year and like four days. Uh, I just wow. celebrated my like my like birthday, if you will. Thank you. Um, but even not drinking alcohol still plays an enormous part of my life um, because I talk about it a lot and how I don't do it anymore. But also because everybody I hang out with still drinks. Like mm-hmm. just because I can't do it doesn't mean uh, that they can't do it. You know. So mm-hmm. I mean, it's my and and different people. Let me say this. I don't classify myself as an alcoholic um, in the typical definition of the word because I don't like to box myself in. It's not, it's nothing against AA or like alcoholics or anybody that considers themselves an alcoholic. It's just not the, the label I choose to give myself because the truth is I'm just an addictive personality. Like I get it. I, I definitely am an addict. I definitely I label myself as that for sure, because mm-hmm. I think I have the ability to overdo anything that I love um, and really put my mind to. So alcohol just happened to be one that I did that and it, nice. and it was unhealthy. Like it had negative results and, and impact on my life. So through, I mean, it's crazy because it's, it's shaped my career too. Like not just my personal life, um, you know, partying my ass off from like 16 to, I guess, 21 technically even though i tried for a few more years i wasn't really uh, able to, to do what i used to do anyway uh, once i started having panic attacks it had a massive impact on my ability to party but all through the years of drinking um i i took lsd once in high school that i and I, it's like it was so long ago but it was the only hallucinogen i've ever done and it was such an intense experience that i'll always both credit that and blame it for like who I am today in a way. Uh Um, I don't know if maybe the only reason I have panic disorder is because I had, because I did LSD, but also I'm not unhappy that I have panic disorder because it makes me who I am and it shapes the way that I look at the world and how I make decisions. Is it why you stopped drinking? It's a big part of why I stopped. It's not why I stopped. Hmm. I would have stopped eight years ago, 10 years ago. If, panic disorder and anxiety were the reasons um it was more because i'm just a terrible drunk like i can't drink for shit uh i I love drinking too much and i have social anxiety so once i get in my zone and i'm like working the room or whatever i don't want to stop and that's it's never like two or three i'm one of those people that always overdoes it and at the end of the night after everything has been entertaining and everybody's had fun and whatever i turn into somebody that i don't like um that i don't think anybody would like so i had to get away from that and that was the reason i quit drinking is it just didn't i mean it's you wouldn't you wouldn't continue to do anything or take ingest any substance that made you into somebody you didn't like 
but it was such a hard, it's so hard with alcohol because of the way that our society is structured I know. socially. Yeah. It makes it so much more of a pain in the ass, really, is all it is. It's a pain it's in like the ass. It's like our culture wants us to be alcoholics. Right. Almost. It's stupid. <laughs> the, the example I used actually talking about this earlier today was like, if you ate Honey Nut Cheerios every morning and every morning it made you sick, you would stop eating exactly. Honey Nut Cheerios immediately. Nobody would care. Or, or if there was you, a, a, a label on the box that says like, this could cause this to happen, you know? Right. Sure. It just, it just, it's a weird stigma um, with alcohol and the way it plays such an important part socially for everything that we do. I, I don't know if that's just America specifically that it feels worse. I'm not like worldly and cultured enough to know if it's the same level in Europe or whatever, but here it's like, man, if you want to, if you want to have a social life, you either are going to drink, you're going to, or you're going to struggle uh, as a drinker, or you're going to have to be sober and find a way to do it without alcohol. Cause it's, it's always there. Did you notice um, that when you took alcohol out of your life that it turned up the volume on another vice of yours or anything that you kind of transferred that energy into? At first, absolutely. Um, sports betting was like the one that took over for me, it, at least at first. And that was like the most, I won't say I'm a smart guy, but I'm smart enough to know that there was going to be a way, I was going to fill the gap with something mm-hmm. that, like you just asked about. And that was it for a little while. Uh, and I didn't, fortunately I didn't make enough money at the time for that to like really matter. But, um, if that happened now, it could be a problem. The point being, I figured out a way to balance myself to where there's not one thing like filling the the gap of alcohol anymore. It's just kind of the way I live is different in all aspects so that I don't feel like anything is missing period. But I do, I will say this. I used to smoke weed a lot um, in high school. I was a big, big stoner when my parents were going through their divorce when I was a kid. That happens to a lot of teenagers, I feel like. It's an easy thing to turn to, just like drinking can be. Um, and then I didn't, I wasn't like a pothead, uh, really, you, you could say, for a really long time. I picked up smoking weed, like recreationally, again, when I quit drinking as a way to help me kind of deal with it, right? Like, it, it was, it's a weird transition going from everything in your life revolving around alcohol and alcohol being the social lubricant that it is for you to, to not having anything at all. So I was like, well, I'm going to use weed, something that I know doesn't turn me into an asshole or make me a fat piece of shit uh, mm-hmm. as my, like, you know, to bridge the gap. And then it, what I found over the coming weeks and months and now sitting here a year into it is uh, weed's actually just like a great overall replacement for me. It's definitely the biggest piece of that, you know, filling that gap for me because uh, it's just an escape from, right? Like it's just an escape from the the everyday stressors that I deal with. And it's one that that works for me that I feel like helps level out my, my anxiety. Um, I've even actually worked it into my social, like the way I operate socially a little mm. bit, which is hard for a lot of people who smoke weed. Most people won't, don't want to get high and like go to a dinner, yeah, for example, or go to a party. I can do that now and I'm totally used to it and it's really fun, um, which is bizarre because there was a point where I was like, the last thing in the world that I would want to do was smoke a joint and be in a room full of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but now, now that's just the way I do it. But 
it, anyway, it's just been the weirdest like whirlwind of a transition to to the point that we marijuana, cannabis, whatever you want to call it, I just say weed helped me so much with getting out of the world of alcohol that I've actually become like an advocate for its legalization and use, which is weird um, for a guy. It's a lot better than the medication that a doctor would prescribe. Right. Well, it's just like, because I openly struggle with addiction, yet I openly smoke weed and it just, it's, it's a strange thing to keep, you know, balanced. Yeah, well, um, I know we talked about before, consequences are a gift. I have a bit right. of social anxiety and panic as well, so I never went down the road of alcoholism because I also struggle with an addictive personality, and all of my family does, so I never went that route because everything that you're saying happened is what I saw coming, and so yeah, um, I saw those consequences yeah, I could- as a... I could definitely see it coming too, um, but that's the kind of person that I am. Like I saw a lot of the issues that cro- cropped up for me with drinking coming, but I chose to like try anyway. Um, like I was stubborn about it. I was like, "Fuck that! I'm going to make this work. I'm going to be. I'm going to find a way to make myself be able to be like everybody else. Drink socially. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this." And I even quit for like six months or eight months at one point. And then I came back to drinking because, I, again, I was like, I wasn't ready to let go. Um, do, you, do you think that in, in some human, I, I, I'm sorry if I'm interrupting you. Um, I don't know exactly how to word this, but I feel like I've noticed, especially myself, who I don't necessarily say, you know, I'm a quote unquote addictive personality, but I think all humans are addicted to something, right? Like we all have vices. We all have things that we go to that cause us immediate pleasure or euphoria or something. And we take a little hit of whatever it is, you know, whether it's spending money on sports betting or shopping for some women or whatever the thing is. Is it, is there something to the idea that humans like have this addictive personality out based that's maybe born out of originally like some sort of survival technique, some sort of part of our lizard brain, but then we continue to do it even when we are, are we know we're going down a bad road because we want to find the like boundary. You know, we want to find our bottom bottom. Like we want to be all the way at our limit. That's all I, I believe certain people are like that. Certainly. Um, Cause I'm one of them. That's the way, that's exactly what you, that's what I was trying to say. Uh, you did a much better job, but said, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. With every single thing I've ever done, I've found, I've found the limit uh, so far. And it's, it's a terrible, <laughs> it's really fucking bad. Uh, but it's also been a lot of fun. And it's like, if you can dance around the fire enough to, you know, enjoy the warmth and maybe share it with some other people and not get burned, uh, it can, it can be fun, but. You always get burned. You always get burned, but your scars are reminders, right? I mean, like, you know, to put it into, I don't know, some sort of context is we, we talk about this actually a lot on the show. We need contrast in order to live. Like life is, is born from 
everyday contrasts, whether it be you're hitting rock bottom and because you hit rock bottom and you're in this total darkness and you're in this space that, you know, there's no, no nothing worse that could happen except for you, maybe you dying. The only right. option is is up from there. Right. The only option is to climb out of that hole and decide to actually live. And then that's the part where life is allowed to exist, if that makes sense. Right. Like, there was this, this weird quote um, to, to tie everything together. When I was in a fraternity in college, I was a member of uh, Kappa Alpha Order, which is uh, a Southern fraternity, if you will, which is funny because I don't fit into the box that this stereotype, the stereotype that goes with this fraternity is like Southern shit-kicking cowboy guy racist. Uh, that's the stereotype. Now, that's obviously not true of most of the members, if any of them. I can't speak I haven't been in the organization for eight years. I'm not going to sit here and defend it. But point being, uh, one of the things they teach you when you're a pledge is some quote, and I think it's from Robert E. Lee, who is obviously a pretty controversial figure in history as the uh, general in the Confederate Army. But the quote was something like, you can't enjoy the bitter, or you can't enjoy the sweet without the bitter, or something like that. Mm. Um, talking about it's 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 the contrast you just yeah. spoke to without yin and yang. Yeah, every human has those levels of ups and downs in that yin and yang somewhere. Yeah. It's just to what extremes does it exist? And I sometimes I feel like for me, like I have the most extremes possible that I'm bouncing in between. But then every once in a while, I'll meet somebody, and I think y'all are a good example where it'll change my perspective a little bit, and I'm like, well, man, it's just. It's not that anybody's experience is worse or better than anybody else's. Everybody's is just different. And it, mm-hmm. it just, it, it all depends how you look at it. Like, I think some yeah. people's lives are boring that, that have never had <laughs> extreme ups yeah. and downs. And they're totally cool. And, and I might judge them thinking they're not exciting and they've never done anything wild or lived. But, but for them, if it makes them happy, it's like, well, who the fuck am I to say what they should be doing, you know? Yeah, and we don't know no, what their rambling. childhood was like that, like, let's makes it to where that's what they enjoy, you know? Yeah. And I was going to say that, um, similarly, Jade, off that point, and this is something you and I have discussed that, and I, we're getting way into the weeds right now, so <laughs> <laughs> just maybe We've go with us here. Yeah. question. I know. <laughs> um, it, it reminded me when you were talking about that, that, there's these archetypes in psychology. They have mm. these these relationship ar- relationship archetypes. The anchor, the wave, and um, the island. The islands, yeah. Where I've recognized that I'm a wave, which is by I'm the way wave. not a good thing. Yeah, and I, and I'm with an island, but I'm you know, with an island. The idea is to figure out like who you are. Essentially, what the architect you're living at currently and try to move towards being an anchor, because an anchor is the person you're talking about who seems like maybe they have a boring life a lot of times because they're so balanced and there isn't this like drama happening or like this. They're not doing these extreme things, maybe, but that's probably because they don't need it in order to be happy. And I think in a person like me where I, I do seek out like very extreme I'm very extreme when it comes to like work like maybe that's where my addiction is like I literally work myself till my body falls down dead you know and I'm just like sick as a dog because of of what I what I've done to myself essentially not taking care of myself but I have my brain the way it works because of my childhood or you know all the ways that brought me to who I am today works that my brain works that way because 
or not because my brain works that way in wanting an extreme measure to push me to do the next better thing. So, so I don't know if I'm explaining this right, right but no, I have to I get, get to a dark saying, place. Yeah. In order to move forward into the next light. Dude, I'm, I'm the exact same way, like the exact same way. Uh, and We're it, all it's waves. so fucking weird. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> it's gonna why. It's going to be a though, tsunami today. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's how I am with anything, though. Like, I have to wrecking ball. Um, I do a lot. It's like I've been des- described as a self-destructive person mm-hmm. before, which I used to agree with to some level, but I don't know if that's it. Like, if, it's, if self-destruction is really fair, so much as I'm just like, I, I feel way more like a limit tester than I do mm-hmm. like I'm trying to self-destruct because like I can assure you I don't want to destruct myself <laughs> um I enjoy myself uh, quite a bit I just that's just the way I am I don't know why it's it's fucking difficult though it makes everything a lot harder it feels like you should pick up the book uh transforming your dragons because it talks about um that having that as a dragon it's not something that you want it's just something that has like a control over your life and it gives you like steps for how to slay that dragon or transform okay. it. It's very um, Game of Thrones. So Yeah, so it was really good. Uh, my shaman shaman wrote it. Um, but yeah, I highly recommend it. Your shaman's shaman. Shaman mm-hmm. shaman. <laughs> not, many people, shaman. not many people have a shaman that have a shaman. That's, right? that's I know. You're doing yeah. it. Um, how did getting sober affect your friendships and your marriage? Oh my God. It made, it made it totally different, but so much better. Um, I, it was weirder with friendships than it was with marriage because I like for my wife, Taylor, it was just such a relief. I think for alcohol to finally not be something poisoning our marriage, mm-hmm. uh, the, 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 ch- the changes were all positive. So they didn't feel drastic. Whereas with friends and getting used to the social side of it, it was, that was the battle that took so long and really like, you know how it is with peer pressure when you're in college and when you're in high school. Um, and even up into your like early adult years, now, really like in yeah. your early, sure. There's always some level of it, but like now I don't even know what you could peer pressure me to do. Uh, I'm trying to think of something. I don't even know what would work. My point is yeah. I used to be uh, much more heavily influenced by that. And it was something that it was, it always drug me back. Like people would make fun of me for like, I was like, I'm having anxiety. I'm not drinking tonight. And I'd get talked into it because yeah. I cared what everybody else thought. And I wanted to be, you know, the guy that was partying. And but once fun you with everybody, said no you were what. sober, that kind of stopped with your friends. It, it finally, I think clicked for them too. Um, mm. it, like, Holy shit. Like he's, he's actually cutting it out a hundred percent out of his life. And it's, and I think they could see it in my face. Like this was rock bottom. Like I was ruining shit that I was not going to be able to recover from if I didn't stop. And I just finally, yeah. I mean, if, if this was my rock bottom, it was a really, I was, I'm very blessed because it, it was, I'm pretty high. Uh, is yeah. what it felt like still. Cause I know I've seen other people at rock bottom and it can get really, really, really bad. I'm, I've been, I've been to enough AA meetings and spent enough time in jail to know what that looks like. And uh, I got lucky to be in the position that I'm in where my rock bottom wasn't so low. Mm. Cause I know I don't say that I'm sober, but I say I rarely drink. Cause I do, if I have sushi, I'll have sake, but I really, I 
if I order a drink, I hardly ever finish it also. But I know like if I go to a wedding, it's like people just keep asking me to take a shot. And if I'm like, oh, no, I'm not drinking. It's like it doesn't stop, especially the more they drink. It's like, no, let's take a shot and go on the dance floor. And I'm like, well, I, I can go on the dance floor. I don't want a shot. And it's like it's it's asked a couple times. So I think unless you are actually saying you're sober, they're going to keep asking, I guess. So mm. I, maybe that made a big difference for you. I even have people to a year deep. Um, and I don't, I don't, I'm not like one of these people. I don't go out a ton with strangers or like meet a whole bunch of new people. I typically hang out with the same group of friends that I have. Um, you know, I'm 31, I'm married, I've got two dogs, I'm chilling. Uh, and I still have people in my close group of friends who on occasion will cross the line and, and be like, come on, dude, why don't you just have a drink or whatever? Mm-hmm. Like, so, and it's That's some people, and it's always after, it's always after they've had several though. And I think it's people who might struggle on their own with it. And they, it would make, it's like the misery loves company thing. Well, and, and you're holding up a mirror to their addiction because you're not mm-hmm. drinking. Yeah. Yeah. So it can still be, even now, it can be weird with my friends on occasion. And, and that's just part of the way, like, I, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm a party guy. I loved partying more than, more than anything. And that why, mm-hmm. that's why it was so hard to walk away from drinking is because that's what fueled that lifestyle for me. And so the people that I'm close with and that I, that I love very much, they still like to party and they, they drink a lot. And on occasion it comes up and I've accepted that that's just part of it. I'm going to have to deal with or whatever. Yeah. Have you found that, that, you know, being so vocal with you not drinking anymore um, on your podcast and now making the year mark for that, has it, have you seen a large response from your fans and followers Oh my God. Uh, it would blow your mind. I mean, I, there's, I've been trying to find a way or think of a way that I can show the world, the response that I've gotten. Yeah, because it gives me goosebumps. E- <laughs> the, the amount of replies and DMS and, and Snapchats and tweets and Facebook messages and emails and voicemails are, my voicemail machine has over 3000 messages on it. And I can't, I can't keep up with it. It just keeps refilling. Anyway, so many of those are people who are saying like, I've had, you know, struggled with anxiety or depression or self-consciousness issues or whatever for years. Uh, or I've always had a drinking problem and never known how to put my finger on it. And like, it's exactly what you've described or whatever. It's, it's amazing to me how many people struggle with and with drinking or anxiety one of the two in one way or another mm-hmm. Outrageous. And they kind of go hand like, in hand sometimes yeah. they do yeah they do and it's i mean it's it's really sad like in a way what like so many people hitting you up like i need help 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 yeah. what do i do what do i do but you just have to do as much as you can. Right. Like, so I try to reply to as many people as I can. And it, it really makes, it's not only, it makes me feel good because I want to be a positive influence, but I really do think I have advice that can help people that are dealing with yeah. the stuff that I've dealt with. So it's, I mean, that's, what's really given me my sense of purpose and made me feel like podcasting and everything that I'm doing now is what I'm meant to be doing because I can feel for the first time ever. I've done a lot of shit. I wrote a book. Uh, that's something that not many people can say they did. It's yeah. really tight. That's why I put it in my Twitter bio and shit. Anyway, I don't even know where the fuck I was going with that, but humble brag all over the place. Well, it's crazy to think about how many people may have gotten sober because you did. That's really cool. 
Yeah. Right. I hope, I hope that's right. Um, like I've done a lot of really, really bad shit. <laughs> I hope that I'm balancing it out. Some, uh, I never really like hurt anybody except for myself. So I don't want to make it sound like I did, but I, I hope I'm balancing out some of the pain that I brought to my family for real. Like yeah, it, karmic it, that's, energies. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to balance out whatever it is that I'm doing. I like that. I mean, at any time, I think that you can find ways to build community and, and find common ground with people. It's a beautiful thing and it raises the vibration on the planet. And it's probably, you know, probably what we're all here for at the end of the day. Can I ask a question? Um, yeah. I know it's your show. Did yep. you guys intentionally do the one of you has white headphones and one of you has black headphones? No, but nice. It kind of worked out. I know. It's cool. It <laughs> looks good. No, it, it really did work out. There's your balance right there. Yeah. Uh, also, no I'm like always in a green background and she's in a pink. Uh, but right now it's not so bad because we have daylight. Usually we're doing these interviews late at night. Yeah. So when we were on your show last month, um, we came across some common ground between the three of us when it came to the topic of anxiety, which you've touched on a little bit here already. When did you first start experiencing signs of anxiety and, and what tools did you use to work through those issues? So I've had a lot of time now to think about um, the origin of like when, when the first time I think I, I experienced anxiety was and all that. And I've, it's changed over the years because at first I thought the first ever panic attack I ever, ever had was on my 21st birthday. And I, yeah. I think that's still accurate, but I definitely had a version of a panic attack or like a lesser version of it on a flight back from Mexico, like two years before that. And I didn't remember that until years later. I, I attributed it to like some type of altitude sickness or some shit like that. Okay. It was an, it was an anxiety attack. I just didn't know what that was yet. Um, mm. but yeah, the, uh, help me get back on track. What was you atta- well, firstly <laughs> you attached it. So just to go off that point, you just made it. Cause this is interesting to me, how we, decide to label our anxiety or panic or whatever it is and how we then attach things externally to it mm-hmm. when it's such an internal Sometimes people journey. just say, oh, it's just work stress. And it's really... Yeah, or like, I can't fly on planes because I have panic attacks on planes. And it's like, no, the plane isn't bringing on the attack though, right? It's like mm-hmm. what you're saying. Right. The plane was where you had it, so you thought it was altitude related. You thought, you know, you had all these reasons and excuses to give it that are external. Yeah. But it was some chemical thing that was going on inside of you, right? Yeah, but the first full-blown panic attack I had was literally, like, so beautifully, ironically, on my 21st birthday, um, when I had been on probation for years, and I had been waiting so long to, like, I'd gotten off probation, I was about to be able to drink legally, go to the bars, I was in college, I was so pumped, we had this big party, I got blackout drunk, and I woke up the next day, and I went to a bar with one of my best friends, still one of my best friends to this day. He's actually my co-host on Oysters, Clams, and Cockles for the 15th plug. Um, (laughs) We went to a bar. I had one beer, one beer, and like halfway through the beer at noon for lunch, watching this football game, like having my first legal, like being a man, having a lunch beer, uh, I fucking (laughs) lost it. I lost feeling in my hands, uh, my feet. I was freaking out. I couldn't breathe. My heart was pounding out of my chest, like most intense panic attack you can have. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what it was. I had never experienced anything like it. I thought I was dying. I was like, well, this sucks. I'm 
well, at least I had my 21st birthday, I guess. Like, I was ready to ha- call an ambulance, like, go to the hospital, the whole nine yards. And the uh, the bartender was like, I think you're just freaking out, man. Like, here, drink some of this cranberry juice. And he kept making me these half cranberry juice and water, and I was chugging them because mm-hmm. I didn't know what else to do. And so I puked up cranberry juice all over the side of my friend's Mercedes after that. Um, oh but from there, it was like the longest struggle of my life. I hope I never go anything like go through another struggle of this length because it took so long to figure out what it was, mm-hmm. how to treat it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, years and years and years of talk therapy and I've been getting, cutting things out of my life, like alcohol to get to a point where I'm like manageable. Cause don't get me wrong. Like I have panic disorder, but it's been a long time since I had a full blown panic attack because I've found a way to live and avoid them. Um, when I used to have them frequently, it was crippling. Like I couldn't do shit. I would have them to, I'd be in bed for a week. Like it was brutal hell. And it almost makes me feel like, I made it up somehow. Like it was a nightmare that that point of that part of my life existed where my brain was in that place. And just a short period of time later, I'm now here and I no longer have those horrific mental panic attacks. It's just crazy to me. That's exactly how I feel after a panic attack. It's like so debilitating. And then the next day when I look back at it, I'm like, was that me? Did that happen? It it feels like I was almost sleeping. Like it was a nightmare. It's like a dream. Yeah. yeah. And, but I do notice, and not with every panic attack, definitely not the case, but I do notice that the days that I do tend to have a cocktail at dinner, the next day I have that little bit of anxiety. And Angie. I wonder, yeah. I, I notice though, the a lot of people who drink regularly wouldn't notice that because they drink the next day. And so they don't know that like it's the um, that toxin Rem- that they're putting yeah, the in their remnants. body that's that may be causing that anxiety. And a lot of them would just think it's a hangover and do hair of the dog drink, have another drink or they're drinking every day to where they don't even get to experience, you know, be able to notice that it's alcohol that causes that, you know, next day effect. But um, I do notice because I drink so rarely that it is always the day after. Yeah, it's weird because I mean, I, I'd say. I've probably had, I don't know, let's say I've had 500 panic attacks. Um, then 475 of them were caused by drinking. Like, mm, that's so I, interesting. I was hung over. I was hung over for so many of them, for almost all of them. Like, alcohol was such a big trigger. And it's like, for me, I took it as like God giving me something to try to help me avoid the issue in my life that I eventually did have to face, which was that I cannot drink. I have a drinking problem. I'm a, I'm not an alcohol person. Uh, like it, for me, it felt like that. And you can take that for whatever. I mean, I know there's people who look at it different ways, like the universe or whatever the fuck, but that was a gift for me. Definitely, um, Like a hundred, a hundred percent. I would be a totally different person that I, that I, I can see me like in the other timeline where the panic attacks didn't happen and that guy fucking sucks and i'm so happy that i didn't end up that way i think it's this is such a 
a topic that holds all this taboo around it, you know, anxiety, panic, even depression, all these disorders that I don't even like calling disorders because it's something that lives in all of us. It's just a matter of when we decide to access it during our lifetime or if we push our bodies to a point like sometimes with you know, drugs or alcohol or whatever it is that maybe it's even just a poor diet or lack of exercise that gets us to this point where we basically tap into the, I shouldn't say tap in, we, we have an imbalance that happens and then we have to experience our consciousness not being able to contain itself in the nice little box it normally is able to. And I think when you drink alcohol or you you use a substance that's um, affecting the chemicals in your body and brain, you end up with side effects. And sometimes, you know, depending on where you're at, what's going on, all the circumstances of your life, sometimes that ends up, like you're saying, in panic um, or anxiety. But voicing these issues and the fact that you know you you experience them and how you experience them and when Jade and I voice how we experience them every single time I like can feel how people listening will feel a little bit less alone because I know when I was going through this in the beginning just like you're saying Ross when it first started I was like oh fuck what's wrong with me no matter if you've heard other people talk about anxiety or panic attacks a million Mm -hmm. times once you feel the fear that comes with it, there you feel you completely yeah. alone in it. You feel like mm-hmm. this is no this one can't can be help what me. they're talking about. This, yeah, it, because it's so worse. much bigger in your own head, mm-hmm. right? It's so that intense. phenomenon. That phenomenon that you're explaining is is insane. I mean, I have tried so many times to explain this to people, and the only thing, the closest thing I can compare it to, and I wonder, Jade, if you agree with this, is like having done ayahuasca and stuff. Uh, when I took LSD and tripped on acid for 12 hours. <laughs> That's the closest thing I can compare it to a panic attack because it was the only other time in my life where I was like, holy shit, I didn't know your brain could do this. Mm. I didn't know the human brain could experience feelings like and this. And you also and can't just like turn this. it off. And I have no there. control over it. Yeah, yeah that was the, that's the other part of it. And the first time I had a panic attack that... I had fully realized was a panic attack, like one that I was like, and now mm-hmm. we're having a panic attack. It was the same feeling. I was like, I can't believe all of this time, 21 years I've been alive. And there have been, I assume anyway, lots of people out there who have this exact thing happen to them. And yeah. I had no idea it was even a possibility. And this is, and it's obviously very intense. Mm. Like it's finding, hell. yeah. Finding that you're, that's really what you're describing exactly is is the the scary part. It's not so much the like feelings and everything you're going through in that moment, the emotions. It's realizing your brain is that powerful. And yes. but the beautiful part of it, so your brain is so powerful that and and especially, you know, a very creative mind. I think we said when we were talking on your show that only smart, only intelligent people can have panic attacks. <laughs> Maybe yeah. that makes you feel better. But yeah, this like very creative part of your brain turns on and becomes disaster mind. It, it you know, spirals down this rabbit hole of terrible, terrible things that you're creating. I mean, they're completely coming from your own subconscious and you're just becoming conscious of it. They've always been there. They've always there. They always will be there. They will continue to be there, but you're just unable to control them in the moment because of some chemicals that are, you know, messed up when it comes to LSD. Like I know my experience with LSD was 
and it probably depends a lot on how you walk into that scenario, you know, if mm-hmm. you're guided in with oh, I, no, calm, kind yeah. situation, or if yeah, you're if in a party. party with a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, but right. in any case, when, when I was on LSD, I was with, you know, uh, friends, and I was in a, it was a very fun, happy situation, and I wasn't so afraid. I'd done, you know, MDMA before that, and I had experimented with other things that I had positive experiences with so i only thought okay well this is going to be positive and although i saw a lot of scary things when i saw them i knew okay well this is the drug and i could tweak them to positive so like i would right. see devils everywhere and i would turn them into my my boyfriend's face or whatever it was you know thing things like that <laughs> so but knowing that your your brain is creating this shit and it's like completely there's infinite possibilities of what it can create and then if you that's can figure scary. out like how you can get gain control over it, that's where you have like this mastery of mind, right? And you become enlightened or whatever you want to say. This is the the end goal of this, but I just I I think it's for anyone listening to this, I just want to say that firstly, you're not alone even though it feels like what you're feeling is never no one could have ever experienced it because it's so gnarly and at the same time there is a light at the end of the tunnel like you will get through this tomorrow is going to be a new day next minute might be even better than it is right now you know you might you you and then the other thing to remember is that on the other side is some sort of mastery you will figure out how to manage this and it will push you to this more enlightened space you know it'll push mm-hmm. you to this to become this person that's better There's than you wisdom on the other end for sure as somebody as somebody who went through i mean the thick of it was like a six-year period probably where i was like oh this is i'm permanent my life will never be better than it is right now i'm stuck at this level because i can't manage this anxiety and this is just the new me this is the new mm-hmm. level i'm gonna have panic attacks all the time i can't figure out how to manage them this is it uh, for the longest time, I genuinely believed like the rest of my life was going to be that way. And then slowly but surely, you know, when you, if you work at it and everybody has their pace, I think some people can figure it out in a year. Some people, it takes a decade. Some people, people, it takes 40 years. But if you work at it and you try to get to the root of your issues and what it is that's causing you to have this fight or flight reaction gone awry, I believe you can fix it um, and not even fix it. Cause that makes it sound like something's wrong. Just, I believe you'll respond to it differently. I think I still have the same triggers that I've always had for anxiety and panic attacks, um, including alcohol, including whatever the fuck at one point I couldn't drive a car for eight months. I don't really know what that was about, but it was, I had a panic attack every With time panic. I drove. Yeah. So, and that no longer is the case. I'm, I've been driving for a couple of years again, but I think I have all the same triggers. It's just that I've figured out and learned over the years, the course of a decade now, how to master and kind of keep, keep, keep everything in check to to where it's supposed to be. You know, if that makes sense. How did you, like when you say, just to take the driving example, because I had that too, I would start panicking when driving. I mean, it, panic would just pop up wherever the fuck I let it. Basically, when I was weak-minded in that moment, the shit would pop up, and I didn't know how to manage it. I had no tools. I hadn't done any of the the you know work that I've done to this point um, at that time. And so it was just popping up everywhere. And sometimes it still does, but now you know you have a quicker way to, to you have tools in your tool bag. You're ready. You're ready, right. you know, <laughs> to slay those right. dragons. Yeah. Um, when when that started occurring for you, like take the like I was saying the driving thing for example. Every time you got in the car, you knew that this external thing driving was your trigger, 
right? And so you got into that mindset of panic again. The the disaster mind started racing. You know, all the thoughts started racing. Your script was going negative. Oh my god, all these things are going to happen. I'm going to pass out. I'm not going to be whatever. I don't know what your script was. I know mine was just like it's the gnarliest things you can think of. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you get past it? Because now you drive. So just for an example yeah. for our listeners. The driving one was different for me. It, was, uh, it wasn't the same exact feeling as a normal panic attack with the, all those feelings of dread and like you're going to die and you don't know what's wrong. Like what you just described was, was for me a normal panic attack. Um, the driving one was like, I have to escape. I have to get out. Like I'm stuck. It would often happen like at a red light with like two cars in front of me because yeah. I couldn't like, I knew I couldn't go wherever I wanted in that moment and I needed to be able to, and I couldn't, so I would start freaking out. Um, I've had all these weird instances of it though. There was like a stretch where it just always finds different ways to form and, and the driving one has always been, it, it never made sense to me. I've never been able to completely figure out why that, why that started happening. But the thing I always tell myself and I've reminded myself of a million times and that I always tell people who hit me up telling me they're having a panic attack. First of all, there's this video on YouTube. It's called the Kuroshi C and it's like K-U-R-O-S-H-I-O somewhere around there. If you Google that, it'll pop up. It'll be the first thing up there. It's a video and it's this giant aquarium and it has a song that plays over the video called Please Don't Go by Barcelona and it is panic attack cure 101 like if you play it i swear to god just watch it's the video it'll make trick. you feel better yeah i've watched it a million times it is absolutely a magic trick with a j uh, <laughs> anyway this, reminding yourself it's gonna end no yes. one's ever died from a panic attack it can't kill you it's just your brain it's gonna end and you're gonna be fine and then you just have to go minute by minute and it's gonna suck for a little while but once you accept that there is an end. Maybe it's two minutes from now. Like you said, maybe it's in one minute, maybe it's an hour and a half. Sometimes they suck longer. I don't know. <laughs> the point is you're going to come out the other side and you have to remember that and just try to stay positive inside of the panic. Even like, mm -hmm. I know that sounds insane because you're panicking and it's a negative thing, but you can find a way to harness it and make it positive because, and I, and I, most of the people that are listening and have panic attacks are probably like, the like, fuck the are you fuck? talking about? Yeah. That's not possible. I promise you it is like, if you have enough of them and you think at it enough and you, and you work at it hard enough, you can slay that dragon. We keep using that same, mm -hmm, the yeah. same fucking uh, analogy, the, the, but yeah. It's totally true though. The breakdown of it, uh, I don't know, maybe the science behind it, right? Is that, what actually is happening, whether you're conscious of it or not in the moment, is that you have this negative mental script going on in, in the back of your brain that's, like I said, it's always there, but it's suddenly, maybe, it starts becoming more forefront in your mind. And now your body is starting to respond to this, whether subconscious or conscious script that's happening, and hearing oh, we're, we're in trouble. We're, you know, the, what do they say? The crane is falling. The crane is falling. You know, like run, get out of the way. It's a fight or flight mode. And you're in this sympathetic nervous system. Part of your, your body, your brain's all responding this way. Like it needs to run from a lion essentially. But right. that's not the reality. And you're going, why am I having all these responses? Why is all the blood wicking from my hands and feet? And I'm, you know, I have cotton mouth and I can barely breathe because I'm hyperventilating so bad and my heart's pounding out of my chest, all these things happening. 
because your body's responding to this script. And so like you're saying, yes, it sound it seems like, well, no, I'm in this panic and it's the panic has got me. It's like if you can reframe that to the actual science of it, you know, the science of it is that actually your subconscious, your actual thoughts are what caused this in the first place, whether you realized it or not. Right. And so if you can turn that around and start saying to yourself, essentially, we're okay, we're going to get through this, and then pulling your tools, whether it's breathing techniques, whether it's listening or watching your video you mentioned on um, YouTube or whatever your other techniques might be, right, to get you out of that place and get your thoughts back in the right state of mind where they're they're calmer thoughts, they're not all disaster mind thoughts, and eventually... You, you, referred, to, you referred to the toolbox like quite a few times, and then you just mentioned a couple things that I think most people with anxiety who have tried to add tools like breathing techniques and such, like that, that's what you're talking about when you're talking about a toolbox. The, the tools that you can bust out to try to use to help yourself in those situations. And I, I would say for people who are out there, maybe you watch the video I just suggested, it doesn't help you. It helps a lot of people. I'll just say that. But maybe it doesn't help you. Um, there's been a lot of things suggested to me that didn't help me. I went through this whole fucking like three hour training deal to learn this breathing therapy uh, at one point several years ago to help me to help me with my anxiety stuff. And it didn't do shit. Uh, it made it worse for some reason. Like for me, <laughs> the process of like prog- programmatically breathing made it worse. I don't know. It just, mm-hmm. I was like, my brain has even more power. Now it's just doing more stuff. <laughs> <laughs> too much but, uh, oxygen so like, yeah so just keep keep at it is what i would say like don't give up and don't get discouraged if somebody gives you um advice or or, or a tool that doesn't work for you because maybe I, you just have to find your own and that's kind of the thing with me was was that people would suggest things for me or tell me like well you just have to breathe from your your uh your chest not your stomach it's, it's like one of my doctors who, by the way, was just fucking awful. This woman was so bad. Uh, <laughs> that's a whole nother deal. Don't get me going on doctors. <laughs> I Make know, sure you have either. a good doctor, a good psychiatrist and a good yeah. doctor. Yeah. So hard to find. Um, and, and don't just trust Be careful out there. Say. They're just regular fucking people with bigger degrees. What were we talking about? <laughs> well, you were you were breaking down the tools that did or didn't help you. Anyway, yeah, so you get, I mean, don't get discouraged. You will find things that work if you look for them. But you have to look, and some of them aren't going to work. That's the thing, too. You can't just sit there. Yeah, you have to look. You have to to, um, do something, not just uh, mask the symptoms, but actually do something different that, you know. Yeah, I did that for a long time, too. That's the like wallowing around in your own mm. self pity and feeling sorry for yourself, and, mm. and that that's not doing anything. You're just making mm-hmm. everything worse. Um, no, you have to be you know. active. Yeah. So, I was uh, sorry, Jade. You heard me breathe. <laughs> you can hear me breathe now. <laughs> um, so, um, no, I was really going to say something <laughs> because Wait, I know ahead. you're going to move off. You know, you're going to move us off the subject and. Uh-huh. You know, I don't know how much we're going to put into the show just because we've gone on and on and on. I'm sure we'll have to mm-hmm. cut it down a little bit. But um, I think it's just so beautiful that you're sharing with people or us that you have experiences and the way you've experienced it. And, you know, your story, because like you said, everyone's story is different. Everyone what works for everyone is going to be different. Yeah. Um, but because you brought up 
people wanting to have like an answer now. Okay, well, if that's not working, then nothing you're talking about is even relatable, and it's not going to you know it's not going to work for me. I wanted to right. just say for our listeners' sake that. You know, we all know there are anti-anxiety medications and drugs out there, anti-depression drugs and whatnot out there. And I don't want to knock any of those drugs. I think they have their place and sometimes they're super necessary and will get you through. But it is not something to lean on for the rest of your life, just like we're talking about with other addictions. It is. There's other options. There's a reason your body's telling you that you're, mm-hmm. you know, you need to take care of something when you're having this panic and anxiety. And even mm-hmm. though it's not a lion chasing you. In that moment, there is something else going on with your body chemically that you need yeah. to c- respond to. And I think probably for, uh, yeah, and I might be speaking for all three of us, you correct me if I'm wrong, but out of the darkest places, like we were talking about with contrast, out of the darkest places where you were in this panic or anxiety in your life, a lot of light has probably come because mm-hmm, you were pushed mm-hmm. to do it. You're motivated because of that, those hard places, that fear. Yeah. So Consequences so, are a gift. Yeah. Exactly. Listen to what's going on in your body and do the research. You know, we always promote that on this show, like read up, figure it out, Mm -hmm. watch YouTube videos, listen to podcasts on it, you know, find, find your community. With the anxiety stuff, it's, it's, it's just so important that you don't give up and that you keep the, you keep the search going because that's, that's the thing is you're dead on. Uh, I feel like people try one thing and it doesn't work and they're like, oh, nothing's going to work. No, you're not trying. You're not actually trying. Just because you've convinced yourself you're trying or you're doing something doesn't mean you fucking are. And to that, I would say this. It's so important to have a good group of friends around you uh, that can tell you when you're being a piece of shit and you're not trying and you need to get off your ass Mm -hmm. and and go fix it. Because if you don't have that, you go, who knows? You can go the rest of your life being wallowing around in your own self-pity or whatever. Like, you need good people around you who will give you a kick in the ass if you need it. And uh, as somebody who's gotten lots of kicks in the ass, that's, that's super important. You got to have that. You got you to gotta try to build people around. I mean, some people can't be their family. With me, I got lucky. It was my family. My mom and dad were uh, saved my ass so many times. And, and not just, like, financially. Like, I mean, by the, with the lessons that they gave me. Some people don't have that. Some people don't have their parents. That doesn't mean you don't, it's not an excuse. You've got to go mm-hmm. find a support group and a group of friends and people that can hold you accountable. It, don't let your circumstances dictate how happy you can or can't be. You have to, you have to be the one in control of that shit. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people with what you're saying, a lot of people may consider their friends or their wife or husband to be nagging, but it's probably coming from love and you know, they want to, see you get better. But um, one of the goals of this podcast is to make people feel less alone. And that's one of the reasons why we're talking about this is because it takes the power away from it. So, you know, don't be afraid to talk about it either. Let someone know how you're feeling. Don't don't hide it because that's what gives it power. And and don't um, don't feel like you have to be ashamed of it because there's more people that experience this than you think. Um, And it's so funny whenever you tell somebody like, I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out right now. I'm having a panic attack. <laughs> they're, they're always like, really? Holy shit. You look totally fine. Like I yeah. can't even tell. And that's yeah. such a funny, like that's always the kickstarter. I mean, again, I haven't had a really bad one in a while, knock on wood, but that was always the kickstarter for me to be like, this is so fucking stupid. I don't even look different on the outside right now. When this <laughs> is happening, when inside yeah. my brain is, I feel like I'm dying. This is so stupid. Yeah. So that would always help me to go down the positive path of like, dude, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about it, talk about it 
all of the time if you have to try try not to yeah. try to spread out the talking so that it's not to like one person so that you don't drag them fucking yeah. nuts when you talk. <laughs> but talk about it. You, that's a great great piece of advice. So, um, Ross, you've written a book. You've gotten sober. You've worked through your anxiety. Um, what are you still longing for? Oh man, my focus right now has been helping as many people as possible um, through the podcast and through growing the Ross Bolin podcast and and getting to talk about the things that I get to talk about. It's very similar to what y'all are doing, and it's it's for a very similar reason. Like same thing. I don't want people to feel alone either. But uh, I being you know everything in my life is is kind of built around humor. Uh, if you were gonna if you're especially alcohol removed from the situation, like you could look back and say my whole life has been built around comedy and humor and my sense of humor and, and laughing and being funny is the most important thing in the world to me. So that's the kind of difference between, I guess my show is very silly. (laughs) uh, There's a lot of talk about really silly shit. So I just, I want to do some combination of entertaining people and helping at the same time if I can. So I try to mix the comedy with the very serious. Um, if I could give an example of somebody who's been like an inspiration to me in that way, it would be Neil Brennan, who it wouldn't shock me if one of y'all has met him at some point. But Neil is the guy who wrote Dave Chappelle's show with Dave Chappelle. He's a white guy, mm-hmm. real goofy looking motherfucker. He looks like a weasel <laughs> and uh, not a handsome man. <laughs> but one of the funniest, one of the funniest dudes uh, on the face of the earth, and he did this uh, this stand up special on Netflix called Three Mics. Go watch it. It's it's just a really interesting look at at how you can impact people through comedy um, and mix mix comedy with really really serious topics like Which depression and suicide. Up. Yeah, and but I mean, if you thought Dave was good at it, go watch Neil. It's crazy. He's an insanely, insanely talented comedian. In Three Mics, it's called Three Mics on Netflix. Right. I, me, me and him don't know each other. I'm not like plugging my boy. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna watch it just, tonight. He's, yeah, he's just fine without me. I can assure you. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, you, you gotta watch it, dude. It's so good. That's that's what I'm going for. That's like that's my deal. I want to I want to make people laugh and I want to make them feel better. Cool. So um, maybe to the other end of that, since we're talking about comedy here, on the other end of that, uh, the dark side of that, you mentioned before that you hadn't really experienced depression, um, or that wasn't a word that you're really able to relate to, but I'm sure you've experienced pain in some way or another, so I'm wondering where those dark parts of yourself surface in your life, and what do you experience pain around? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I, I remember when, when you guys came on uh, and we did the show a few weeks ago and we were talking about depression, Jade specifically was talking about some of her experiences. And I was saying, like, it's, it's crazy because that's the one I don't know, uh, like that mm-hmm. I can't feel, that I don't, I don't have. I can, when people describe their depression to me, I'm always like, fuck, I've never hit that, uh, that, that note. Mm-hmm. Um, and since then to now, I actually got a, a new psychiatrist that, uh, Long story short, I'm like, holy shit, have I been depressed? And, uh, <laughs> and New label. It, I'm serious. Yeah, so I think it's something that I've 
started to kind of unravel even in the last couple of weeks a little bit. And I don't know, I'm still not sure like if I'm depressed or if I've suffered from depression in the past, I, I'm not positive yet. So I don't want to put it out there or anything like that, but it's been weird, like delving into it. And I'm, I'm actually weaning off of Prozac as we speak. Like I'm like mm. two months into it or something. Oh, congratulations it's something that I, too. I started taking as a result of the driving issue when I couldn't mm-hmm. drive. I finally, my doctor was like, you have to take something like this is getting out of control. Um, so I did. And obviously I can drive now and have been able to for some time. So I was finally like, I'm going to get off this fucking, what are they? SSRI or whatever they're called. Yeah. I'm, I'm Serotonin gonna, I'm gonna reuptake inhibitor. I don't want that shit if I don't need it. Uh, so I've, I've been weaning off of it. It takes forever, forever. It's like a six month fucking you sh- no oh drug God. should take six months to wean off of heroin addicts get clean faster than I'm getting clean off of this shit. It's <laughs> miserable. <laughs> but is it, how has it, okay, so serotonin reuptake inhibitors for anybody listening is what you would normally be prescribed if you were dealing with panic anxiety long term, especially, um, or really out of control panic attacks that you can't seem to get, uh, you know, control of easily. And that's something your psychiatrist would decide, you know, for you. So we're not medical professionals here just to state no, that. No, 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 no. Um, but when you when you're taking that, especially when you're taking that long term, it's changing your body's ability to mm-hmm. create those chemicals, right? It's helping you create them essentially. And mm-hmm. it's making you not create some chemicals. So when you're getting off it, like you're saying, it takes a weaning process because you got to ask your body to start doing that again. Otherwise, your body's been relying on this thing, right? This whole time. So how is that detox or that... And, and not to... not Like we said, let's not knock this drug because it does no, save not people's all. lives. Not it gets no. people through the toughest times to get to the other side. So mm-hmm. how has your it, come off been? Honestly... It, I'm so glad you put it that way because it really did help me. Um, I, I, I really do think it helped me get through that period. Whatever that was I had going on with the car thing, I, I don't think I got through that. With, I, I don't think I would have gotten through that without the Prozac uh, or whatever the generic version. Fluoxetine is what I'm mm-hmm. what I'm taking. But uh, weaning off of it has been, um, by the way, also I'm doing it under the guidance of a medical professional, a psychiatrist. It's not like I was just like, fuck this. <laughs> Um, it takes forever, like I said, and I've definitely noticed the reason I brought it up was, I mean, you asked about, you know, pain and and depression and I'll have days now where I'm a little darker than I was maybe the day before. Uh, and I'll notice, which isn't something I've noticed for a long time because I've been Mm -hmm. on these for, for a couple of years now. So, uh, it'll be interesting having to react to that as I get back to like my normal brain that it does have some darkness in it. Like in the fucked up thing is I want that back. Totally. It's the real me. So I, I want that version of me. And I know again, it's different for everybody. No, I'm not knocking anything. I'm just saying like, for me, I've gotten to a point where after years and a shit ton of thought and and conversation about it, I've decided to, to, to get off of this drug. For me, mm-hmm. doesn't mean you should or anybody else should. Right. Um, I hate how you have to fucking re- reiterate that so hard with everybody, or, or people freak out on you. But anyway, it's been uh, it's been interesting. So like, I I don't know where so much of the pain for me that built up my anxiety was was from my parents and from mm-hmm. their divorce and from my childhood or whatever. Like, 
I had a great childhood aside from my parents' divorce, but I somehow let that fuck me up bad. Like, and it was a pretty painless divorce compared to most of them, but it got me good. And outside of that, I don't know where a lot of my shit comes from. Uh, where a lot of it, because there's definitely like a level of darkness in me that I don't see in any of my friends. Um, and I love dark shit. Like even, you know, from, from an entertainment perspective, like movies and, and music and such and shit. Uh, I don't know where it comes from. I don't really know. I, I'm, I'm, maybe that's something I'll figure out in the in the next year. But one thing at a time. Um, I have a few friends that drank for a long time, and they uh, recently got sober as well. And they started to question: Have I been depressed this whole time? Because it was like it was numbing that in them. And after after being an entire year or more sober, is when they started to ask that question. So that may be fuck. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. It sucks, but it's like there's. Um, I also kind of anticipated that, not the specific, not specifically the depression part of it, but I knew when I cut alcohol out that there was going to be, in some way, that it was going to crop up new challenges because that's always the yeah. way it is. There's always going to be something. More. I feel like some people they quit something that's a bad influence, like they quit smoking or they quit drinking or they quit gambling or they quit sex or they quit whatever the fuck it is that they think is a negative influence on their life. And then they're like, they expect to wake up the next day and just be this glowing, happy person that is the best version of themselves or whatever. That's not the way it works. Life goes on. The challenges continue. Other shit comes that you have to face. Mm-hmm. It, it, you don't just figure it all out. And then that day. addiction uh, comes knocking because... That's how you are used to handling it. Yeah, yeah. that's a never-ending battle. That never stops. And I think that's just, it's funny, like the, the alcoholic journey, like if you go to an AA meeting and they explain, or you read uh, whatever the, the book they go off of is called, oh my God, it's terrible that I can't remember, but the AA book, uh, it is so very clear. And every alcoholic goes down the exact same path in like one way or another. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that way with all things in life, though. That translates outside of AA. I, I think we all have our different struggles and things we have to overcome. And, you know, as you overcome things, new things present themselves that you have to then face up to. It's not it's never fixed. And for a guy like me, I have to remind myself of that constantly because you can start to feel like you're, you're just, you can't get, you can't win, that you're always fighting. And it doesn't have to feel that way. This is the this is the way it's supposed to be. This is the state of living. It's it's figuring things out and solving problems and going day you just to day. Get through that hump. So don't let it get you down. That's life. Now you're at the good part. Like mm-hmm. for me, I, I I let it stress me out and freak me out. And I'm like, this is all good shit. Uh, and I it's it's been tough to make the transition from things are really bad to things are really good, and I'm refusing to let myself acknowledge it which is yeah. now where I'm at kind of. Yeah. I think too, if we can just focus on the fact that there is beauty in darkness. And I think we have proof of that. Like you're saying, you're attracted to dark things in entertainment, you know, like in shows and uh, why vampire books and shows are so popular. Our human brains, we recognize ourselves in those dark things, you know, in those dark but beautiful displays of what that darkness can look like sometimes. And it's important to let that really sink in. I think that darkness has a beautiful side to it. So 
Right. It seems to be the con the the constant theme of this this episode for some reason, but yeah. Um, or at least that's what I'm pulling from it today. I don't know why. Uh, is that we need the darkness in order to see the light. We need to have those to explore those dark places in order to find our best brightest selves. Mm-hmm. I brought the darkness. That's what I brought. I brought. I you brought, brought the darkness. The darkness. Yes. <laughs> Love it. So we have a question from our magic mob uh, at Ibriel. Mm-hmm. I guess that's how we're going to say it today mm-hmm. on Instagram. Says, uh, will you please ask Ross, since he's been booze free for just over a year, what kind of tactics did he use to avoid drinking in the beginning when temptation was at its highest? And then he says, gang, gang, gang. Gang, gang, gang. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> that's what that's what we say on my show for some reason. Uh, the the hardest thing to do will be going to a bar or a party and not drinking because you it's the physical not having a drink, right? So mm-hmm. uh, get really good at figure out what soda you like the best, and then uh, and then just order that in a cocktail glass. Or like what I like to do now is if restaurants have big fancy cocktail glasses for certain drinks, like at Wu Chow in Austin, I'm sure y'all been to Wu Chow. It's really mm-hmm, good. Yeah. They make drinks in these incredible tiki glasses. Mm-hmm. So now when I go to, when I go to Wu Chow, I make them bring me like a Sprite in one of those. <laughs> and uh, honestly, it's not, that's just for fun at this point, but it's a strategy. My point is it, it can also help with what you're asking about. So like, I mean, there've been so many different points throughout my life where I tried to different, like, at parties, I would open a beer, pour half of it out, like, and then just carry that one beer around, not drinking it at all for a long time. Like, if I was yeah. having anxiety or whatever, just to make people. But what if? Because if you don't, if you don't have something, everybody's like, "Hey, what's up, man? You're not drinking. Yeah, what's exactly. going on? You're not having to drink." Yeah. So it just helps if you do. Exactly. What if a guy though comes over and got everybody around a shots though? Like, how how would you handle that situation? Oh. Uh, just fucking walk off. I don't know. That's it's, it's really hard because because that's something I see a, a lot with my friends trying not to drink. Is like, well, then they end up just drinking because someone got them a shot, and then it's downhill yeah. from there. Yeah, you got to be upfront with your people. Um, that's the hardest part is really getting your best friends, your closest people, those around you to understand. Like, hey, look, I'm done. No drinking, or even if it's for a night. Like, there's nights where people are like, I want to go out and see my friends, but fuck, I don't want to drink anymore. I feel like shit. And they still end up drinking, like you just said. It's like, yeah. you don't have to let yourself do that. There's other choices. The other choice being just to not drink. It's very simple. But, yeah, it's the the shots thing. It, it didn't happen to me that much. I feel like you get a good radar for that, and you can feel when somebody's about to be like, ten Jaeger bombs or whatever, mm-hmm. and uh, bail. Just get the hell out of it. Like, go to the bathroom or whatever. I'm curious if your withdrawals were a temptation. Like a lot of people, when they stop drinking, they're like, oh, well, now I'm not sleeping well and now I'm not pooping well. And they've got all these reasons why they need alcohol in their lives. And so after a right. couple of days of like their stomach pain or their headaches or whatever withdrawal they have, they're like, a sip of whiskey would fix this, you know? So yes. did that play a yeah. part in temptation for you? No, thankfully, um, this is one of the reasons I don't give myself the full credit of, of, alcoholism. Mm -hmm. I never drank every day. Uh, I never drank like that at all, like compulsively Mm -hmm. or, or addictively. Like I never felt like I needed a drink or I never had any of that. It was, it was a very different type of alcohol abuse. And it was every time I drank, I binge drank and would just go until the lights went out. So 
I don't know. I never had the physical withdrawals part. I mean, I felt better instantly, like the next morning. And, uh, and then from there, it just, it'll blow your mind if you've been drinking for like 15 years, like I had, um, to stop drinking for like a week and then remember what it feels like to not feel like shit. It's crazy. Like it melted my brain when I got a weekend and a month (laughs) in and six months in just like, Cause you, when you realize you've been living in this cloud the yeah. whole fucking time and you didn't even know it. Uh, and it's really depressing at first. Cause you're like, God damn, like, like nobody said anything. I've been a total asshole. Have your connections with your, you know, since you, you were social drinking, it sounds like a social binge drinking even maybe is the yeah. label, right? Uh, yeah. Have your connections with your friends that you would normally have social drink with or even just friends outside of that circle that you interact with now, have they have those relationships deepened because of it's, your sobriety? Uh, it's weird. I, I feel like with some they have and with some they've become a little more distant um, mm-hmm. because it's it's tougher for some people to understand. And with other people, they see it as a step forward for you and they want to be closer to you as a result. I guess I guess I know I know you kind of answered that for us um, before when Jade asked something similar. Um, I guess so. I'm trying to let me reangle that question. So from your perspective, like the way that you're able to see them maybe more clearly or see, you know, have a clear interaction where you can remember even the next day. Mm. um, Has that helped you in those bonding processes where because I know like when you when I go have a drink with someone, you're broing down and it it opens that social uh, anxiety thing up like we're talking it about is. A it's bit. a bonding experience that's why people tend to drink with do them. it yeah. with their friends and family yeah but then there's like a, only a level you can get to and then you black out so right. so there's this other thing that you can access right that you're probably finding now and that's what i'm trying to dig in with you on is this other thing you can access when you're you have a really clear and sober mind with people right right sometimes the the that's issue what I found. I'll, I'll say the way the way that it has been for me so far, um, if I'm dead sober, like if I'm not smoking, drinking, nothing is in my system. Mm-hmm. I get really annoyed after a couple hours. Like mm. I can't do it. I fucking can't do it. I'm sorry. Like drunk <laughs> people are the worst. They're the worst. You suck. I, know. I sucked when I was drunk too. I'm sorry. I was probably the worst one of all y'all, and now you suck. Uh, but you suck people, to be I feel like think I'm a bitch at a bar because I'm the only sober <laughs> one and I'm super annoyed by all the drunk people. Just like, oh, God. They, get too, they get too close. They're up in your face. They're talking too loud. They oh, and I'm also like, what are you doing with your lives? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're just actively ruining themselves. No, it's awful. But uh, it takes Their stories don't make too. sense. It, it, your stories don't make sense. You're repeating yourself over and over. What the fuck? You just said that. Stop but saying, they think that you're having a great time because they're like having this bonding moment with you and you're like, your story doesn't make sense at all. I couldn't, I couldn't be more miserable. Yeah. So it's, I, I don't know. I stopped doing that pretty quickly. I was, that's when I was like, I got to be able to lean on weed because this is, this shit is not going to work. <laughs> I, I can't handle these motherfuckers. Um, yeah, but, mm-hmm. but it has been easy since and I've gotten better at it every time I've done it. And it takes a shitload of practice. Like whether you're going to go, actually sober or get high on weed specifically those are the two things i can tell you i can't speak to anything else um it takes getting used to either way either way just an equal amount of getting used to it's a it's an uphill battle and you have to be willing 
to continuously put yourself in social situations as practice because that's how you get better at things, right? You yeah. practice. So if you practice, you'll get better. If you want to get better, if you don't, yeah. then you don't get to complain. I'm glad you bring up um, weed as, you know, you use the word escape in conjunction with, you know, in the same sentence as weed. Because I think sometimes people have this idea that that because it's a plant substance or, you know, it's natural or whatever they want to call it, um, that it's just should be part of an it's OK to be part of your everyday life. And not that it's not if that's what you decide, you know, the thing is. I think it's important we take responsibility for the words we attach to to vices and the words that we oh, yeah. um, put in our own heads when it comes to like what we use to get through a day, if that's what we're using to get through a day or get through uh, social anxiety. Yeah, it depends or, on what you're using it for. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you why you think it's important to acknowledge that? I'm just curious because I agree with you. I just don't I know I think it's important because otherwise we go down a, a ra- we can easily go down a rabbit hole to other darker, deeper, you know, issues yeah. Uh, yeah. or, or okay. vices, darker, darker, deeper <laughs> vices that are really not helpful to our lives or damaging to ourselves. Yeah. You have to be honest with yourself about what you're doing and why you're doing it. It's the only way mm-hmm. to make, continue to make good, good decisions, make good decisions. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, uh, that's something that I didn't realize till like last year. Um, which is fucking, which is crazy because I'm, I'm a 30 year old man, but it's for real. Like that's something I didn't realize until like last year, man, that you really have to think about this type of shit. Yeah. Well, too, when we talk about alcoholism, we've all heard, you know, we've all experienced people who are drunk. We understand how it can become really damaging to the person doing it and the people around them when it goes too far. But when it comes to something like weed, which just seems like a much more mild drug, even the way that especially, I don't know, I, I'm in California, you know, so we're kind of near the forefront of the whole weed movement. So people, and especially in our culture today, consider it so mild and such a, a non-consequential Right. I see what you're getting at. Right? I think it falls into the exact same category as alcohol for me. It really does. Uh, I, it, it's that's going to be a problem. It's going to be, it's going to take some time for us as Americans to kind of figure out that like, it's still something to take seriously. Like you can't just smoke weed all day, every day and be fine. Maybe some people can most, the overwhelming majority of people would not be very productive. Uh, that would not work. Mm-hmm. So no, to me, weed is no different than alcohol. It's, it's a, it's a different, it's a substance that people use to de-stress, to, um, escape to get fucked up. That's part of the reason that I smoke. Like for real, it's not something I'm ashamed to admit. I, I, I get stressed the fuck out during the day. I'm, I'm working my ass mm-hmm. off. Sometimes shit's not going well. Sometimes I need something to help me feel better. For and sure. It does. And the thing is, I, it's the one for me that doesn't have any damaging side effects. Right. Um, like it's, That's it's why not I called, think it's a good one to choose. Yeah. But there, it just depends. Though, be for some bad. people, yeah. I'll give you an example. Some people start smoking a lot and they get the munchies a lot and they eat a lot <laughs> and then they put on a shitload sure. of weight. And I fortunately uh, am not munchies guy. I don't know why. I always I thought I would be munchies guy, honestly. I was like excited about that part of becoming a dude <laughs> that smokes weed again. But I'm not munchies guy at all. Uh, it's, I'm like too distracted to go fucking eat. 
I'm thinking about shit. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, I just yeah. don't go eat. I think it helps with creativity, uh, depending on the strand. And uh, for me, it helps with my sleep issues. So if I'm going to choose between a sleeping pill or Ambien or yeah. even melatonin, like I think that it's the healthy option. So it is. it, it does are, depend on the why. I wish the and, people who are extremely judgmental about the whole weed thing um, would do some research on that in particular. Because, like, look, I don't, I don't know everything, man. I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I don't spend my time. I'm not a scientist. I'm not experimenting, figuring out all the ways this is beneficial or hurtful to anybody. But I can tell you this with sleep and anxiety, there are absolutely strains. And that's the other thing that these people need to understand. There's a whole bunch of different kinds of weed. Like they don't just all do the same thing and get you the same kind of high. And you're just a lazy stoner who eats fucking (laughs) potato chips and watches cartoons. If you take the correct dosage, it can be so helpful with things like yeah, depression because... and anxiety and sleeping. It's like, of course, if you smoke 15 blunts, you're going to be mentally incapacitated. Yeah. Same thing as if you drink the entire liter of vodka. Right. But that doesn't mean mm-hmm. one drink won't, won't help you relax. Like, Right. And a lot of people, if they're like, oh, I'm having sleep issues and they're like, oh, you should try Calm Mag. Well, you don't get judged about that. So why get judged about a uh, weed strand that is specifically made to help you sleep. So yeah, I see, I see where you're going with that. Um, this, this, the weed stigma is going to take like 10 more years. At least I think I'm it's just hopefully it. a lot less. I think it's just important to focus. And this is why I brought it up in the first place to focus on the addictive nature of whatever it is in your life that you're, I mean, it could be fucking exercise. Right. You know, you, you could replace the word weed with exercise. People exercise themselves to the bone. Yeah. Literally they damage their bodies. Too um, much of anything. Is, yeah. Yeah can be self-destructive. That's mm-hmm. the point is figure Absolutely. out what your shit is that you're going too hard on and relax on it. Like find some it's balance. Funny cause my dad told me for like legit, I remember from my childhood up till, you know, when he basically had to stop parenting me somewhere in my twenties. Uh, he told me probably a thousand times moderation is key. And I would always just be like, what the fuck is stop using the word moderation? Like it makes you sound <laughs> smart. Like, I never took it serious. I never understood what he said or what he meant. Mm-hmm. And and then one day I was like, oh my God, he was right the whole time. And I can't tell yeah. you how many times that's happened with my parents where like 10 years <laughs> later, I realized they were dead ass <laughs> right on something. Yeah, it's, it's rough. balance. It's all balance, right? Yeah. So uh, b- bringing up your dad's little mantra of moderation there, all in moderation. Do you have any mantras in your life right now? No, I I probably need one. Um, yeah, I just was wondering if because your dad was a mantra guy. My parents are well. My mom specifically is like a mantra person. I have literally mantras all over my house. Some from her, really? and some just because I, I guess, inherited so, that <laughs> annoying the thing. Concept, the concept of a mantra just being it's something you you say over and over that you can live by. Yeah. Is that is yeah? That it doesn't even yeah. have to be lived by. Like it can be in the moment. It's just something you focus you on out. to get through. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I need to find one though. <laughs> I, all the help I, I, I'll take all the help I can get. Oh, I'm sure now that I said that you'll be fi- you'll be finding them all over the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we also have a pick your poison question for you from Jake Grism on Instagram. Would you rather have a rewind button in your life or a pause button? Ooh, it really depends what you're allowed to do while everything is paused. <laughs> um. I guess you make the rules. No, That's all that. I mean. Yeah. I don't, I'm not a big believer in regret. 
or or in in, in overanalyzing you know the mistakes you've made it, there's there's things to learn from from your mistakes obviously and you should you should always be learning but being stuck in the past isn't a good thing to me so i would go with the pause button even if it was just so that i could pause to enjoy a moment for a little bit longer or whatever uh i'm not trying to rewind and go back to do shit i already did that's that's uh, that's the past so i'm a pause guy i like okay. it i would say you rewind <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think I would pick I'd probably go with Ross on this one I'm going to say pause because as much really shitty stuff that's happened in the past that I would love to rewind and, and rework I have learned so damn much from it I feel like if I tried to do that again I wouldn't become like I'm pretty happy with the trajectory of my life I'm pretty happy with like who I am and who I feel like I'm becoming and all those things. And, and I would be afraid to fuck that up. <laughs> or I don't know. I guess the pause button on, on that one for me. Y'all have seen yeah. the Adam Sandler movie quick, right? Mm-hmm. Click. Click. So you like get yeah, stuck man. and fast forward. That yeah. shit is the, that's the most depressing fucking movie. Like you yeah. go into it, like thinking it's going to be I this know. funny Adam Sandler movie. And then you leave the theater, yeah. like legit depressed. It's I so did hard. like it at the time that it came that's out, so but good. it is. It is a dark movie. But the fast forward thing, too, it's like, well, I guess the fast forward thing would be nice in the dentist office or like in a painful situation. But then you're not learning from any of the the serious to go through. The rewind, though, Jade. You need um, need the experiences. You need the experiences. Yeah, you need the experiences. The rewind, I feel like, would be good. Like, I I always am trying to be a vampire at the end of this deal. Here, I'm trying to like, I'm trying to encompass being a vampire like never dying being immortal somehow or another i'm gonna figure it out but uh <laughs> rewind you feel like you rewind like right at the end every time like oh nope life's not mm. over yet <laughs> uh, so there are a few questions i like to la- ask all of our guests ross that come on the show um i'll kick it off with this one what would you tell your 25 year old self if you could oh so that's six uh six years ago for me, I would probably say, man, buckle up because it's going to be fucking, it's going to be a long ride. Like, <laughs> I mean, for, for me between, I'm serious. I don't, I wouldn't change a thing. I don't, I, I don't, I don't believe in, uh, you know, I, I, I think everything happens for a reason. I believe in fate and I believe in all that. And, and I think that I am where I am because of what I did and the, and the experiences I had. So I would just, I would give myself as much warning as I could, I guess, to be prepared to face anything that may come because uh, life just never really goes the way you expect it to. And that's something that I know, you know, you hear old people tell you that your whole life, your adults tell you that you, you make plans and life laughs or whatever. Um, but when you really start to figure that out, it's a painful little growing process. And I'm kind of in the middle of that right now where it's like, I've got control of my personal life in a way that I've never had before and that I am happier than I've ever been before. But that does not mean I have control over anything else that goes on out there at all. And shit is still going to get weird at times and you got to be ready for it. That's what I would tell my 25 year old self. I like it. And he he would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) Right. So the next question is if you could have the whole world read one book, which would it be? Oh shit! One? Are you are you a big reader? Oh, uh, 
not nearly enough to be given this kind of responsibility. Like, <laughs> I feel like you, I feel like you should have to read like 30 books minimum per year to be allowed to answer that question. Like one book, I'm trying to think of, you know what? This is really lame, but I love this book. And I'm going to say the great Gatsby. I think mm. the message behind that book mm-hmm. is so cool. And it, I, I know it's been made a movie three times, four times now. And I know there's like the basic ass version of it. You can say, I think if you read that book and you read into it really deep, uh, there's really interesting messages about a lot of the stuff that we've talked about, even regarding mm-hmm. like partying, booze, excess, luxury, uh, love, loss. It has a lot of that. And that's why they make you read it when you're like nine or whatever. So I know I probably sound like an idiot right now, but that's the one I would choose. I don't have that many. I choose that. Not at all. I think that's a great story. There's not a bad answer to that question. And there's a reason that it's been made into a movie that many times, right? That's true. So, okay, let's see. I think this is the last of our deep, deep questions here. Mm -hmm. If you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would it be? <laughs> uh, it would be uh, if I could if I could whisper one phrase to every single human being on the planet. It would be listen to the Ross Bowen podcast. Oh, that's a good <laughs> one. That's you know at least at least double my listenership, right? And that's that's an entrepreneurial you know, strategy, right there. That's hey, marketing yeah. all the way. <laughs> that's really I, funny. I that's into, a good answer. I would turn it into a marketing opportunity. That's exactly right. <laughs> So many people would be very confused if they heard that in their ears. I know. God, God told me to do it. I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to listen. Um, all right, damn, we're pretty much wrapped up here. Just let the people know where they can find you on social media, interweb. You can so. follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at wr Bolin on all three of those. W R B O L E N. Uh, my full name is William Ross Bolin, so that's what I use as my handle. It's actually what I used as my author name on the Total Frat Move book yeah. too, W R Bolin, because I thought it sounded more official and cool. Yeah. And I'm so <laughs> fucking glad I did now because I go by Ross Bolin, and my show is the Ross Bolin Podcast. And it's just nice to not have the direct attachment. Like, it's mm. there still. Yeah. It's, but it's nice to not have it. So at WR Bowling, um, listen to the Ross Bowling podcast. It comes out at least two, three times a week. Our schedule is hell. I don't know what the release days are. Just go start listening and uh, we'll <laughs> tell you on the show. Oysters, Clams, and Cockles, I mentioned a hundred times. Nothing else to talk about there. And uh, I appreciate you guys so much having me on. It means a lot. Y'all are great conversationalists. I thoroughly enjoyed talking to you both on my show, which everybody should go listen to the episode that y'all were on. Uh, but yeah. here as well, y'all are real special, and I, I have a lot of respect for what you're doing. Damn, yeah. thanks, Ross. This was yes. this is really cool, and uh, you know, I'm sure we'll we'll be talking again soon and have each other on our shows, hopefully again in the the future. But I just want to say that uh, I'm really appreciative of the fact that you have exposed your journey not just like you know getting deep with us today on the show and and your your dealings with anxiety and whatnot that that you've gone through um and that you've you've been really vulnerable and open with on your own show but even like all the stuff prior like when you talk about 
the Total Frat Move book and and the website and all the things that have brought you to who you are today. I think it's so cool that you get to look back on that and we get to look back on that too and see like, this is who this guy, you know, what he's put out there for the world to see all the way up to this point. And he's basically exposed himself all the way through. Like that's pretty much being the 100% the real deal. So I appreciate yeah. you. That's, I mean, that's always been, uh, it's something that I noticed real early on. Like when I, somewhere in my, like when I was going through puberty, like in my teens and I was 17, 18, 19, like in that range, into high school, beginning of college, I realized that the people that I respected the most were, were the rawest and mm-hmm. the realest mm-hmm. with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just made me want to be that way, like as genuine as possible. That's the goal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, it, it doesn't always work. Like there are times when I, I can't be vulnerable and I put you out just like everybody else. And I put up on, you know, my defense and my mask or whatever. And there are times when I can't say shit and I run away from it just like everybody else. But for the most part, I'm just a big believer in the same thing that y'all are. If you can put your message out there, the more you talk about it, the more you can help, the better this whole fucking shithole of a planet will be as a result. <laughs> so uh, yeah. I'm just I'm just trying to do my part, but I appreciate it. That was very sweet. Thank you. That's what people need. So it is making a difference. Thank for you sure. for making your life speak. Y'all too, for real. <laughs> oh, I really like him. I know. Same. He's the real deal, man. I think a lot He's of... Super sweet. Yeah. Our listeners are going to... I think they're going to really find our chat with Ross super relatable. Love it. Yeah. Um, I loved just, you know, how um, open he is with stuff. He's not pretending to have it together. Yeah, exactly. I think that, you know, coming from the whole frat background, the whole party scene background that he comes from, a lot of, uh, you know, I don't want to stereotype or whatever, but a lot of that what's around that energy and that space can be um, using like we're talking about in the interview, using vices to, to kind of hide away what's really going Mm -hmm. on deep inside you. And so for him Mm -hmm. to get, you know, allow himself to be exposed in that way and vulnerable is super brave. I love it. Yeah. Great example. Mm -hmm. Alrighty. Let's get into our magic tricks for the week. I'm a, you know what? I'm going to go first because you always say I make you go first. <laughs> this time I'm going. Go ahead. All right. My magic trick is it's really the most immediate tool we all have on hand when it comes to dealing with anxiety um, or panic attacks, panic disorders. It's our ability to gain control of our breathing. So I'm going to lay out a very simple breathing technique that I can tell you from my own personal experience works better than anything else I've tried when it comes to, um, you know, managing my anxiety or or getting myself through a panic attack. And real quickly, before I describe how to do this breathing exercise, let me tell you my own history when it comes to anxiety and panic attacks, just so you uh, create the scene for you. Um, I actually had my first panic attack on the Bellator stage, of all places, during a press conference um, out of nowhere, literally. It just came on suddenly, and I I had no idea what was going on, because obviously this was the first time something like this had happened to me. I remember I was like, I was literally in such a state of fight or flight mode, you know, that type of panic that my body was having these extreme responses like 
my my mouth completely dried out, my arms and legs, like my fingers. I remember feeling they were completely numb. Then my arms got completely numb, like it was creeping up my body. And I'm just thinking, well, if all that's numb, I'm gonna about to, you know, how am I gonna stand on these numb legs? Mm-hmm. Uh, my breathing was rapid and short. And all the while, I'm standing there on stage with a smile, like pasted on my face. You know how we do during mm-hmm. weigh-ins or press, press conferences. Just hoping I wasn't going to pass out on national television, which was not fun, as you might imagine. So after that, for at least, I don't know, the next two years or so, I had bouts of anxiety and panic almost every time I was on stage. Jade, you probably don't even know this because I was standing next to you on stage a lot of the time, and I don't think we ever really discussed this. So this might be... I thought it was after I was gone. I think this was still at the... I think this was at the end... Mm-hmm. Of while you were there, um, but yeah, I, I, in and out, in and out. So yeah, that was my trigger, you know, getting on stage essentially. And sometimes though, it would happen with seemingly no trigger at all. And what did I think in those situations? I basically thought I was going crazy. Like I fully thought, okay, this is where it happens. I fall off the deep end and I'm you know I'm gonna end up in a loony bin I'm gonna end up you know living in a box behind Stater Brothers or whatever (laughs) whatever um when it first started I didn't have anyone in my life who had experienced anything similar so I felt just super alone and afraid but little by little as I started researching and developing tools to manage my anxiety I mean, like gruelingly researching, like reading books, um, watching any videos I could get my hands on regarding it, um, asking, talking to my friends, like expressing it more with people I knew. Uh, I started seeing a therapist, um, changed my diet because of all the research I'd done. You know, I found that that was a big tool you can use, changing my diet, incorporating exercise into my life. Um, Little by little, I saw improvements and eventually really healed that part of myself and realized through that that I had been neglecting myself in so many ways um and I still I mean I still have bouts of anxiety from time to time when I fail to care for myself properly so this has been a big struggle for me especially as uh, you know I call myself a workaholic or maybe a recovering and sometimes relapsing workaholic. So I work myself into the ground and then pay the price when my body and brain respond with anxiety, panic and depression. So that's my, that's my story. That's how I ended up, you know, experiencing panic and anxiety and then eventually depression for the first time. It all kind of came seemingly at once and, it took me a couple years. I'm not going to lie to you guys. Um, it took me a couple years to really like do the work, the hard work of researching and then applying to myself and seeing what didn't, didn't work for myself to find a good tool set, you know, toolbox of things to, um, to manage with. So back to the actual magic trick, the breathing trick that I have for you today it's actually exactly what I used to do in order to overcome my own stage fright. Though I'd say that like quote unquote overcoming stage fright might not be technically possible since there will likely always be fear when you're headed out on stage in front of a bunch of people. I know that 
that's the case for me. So maybe the correct term would be learning to manage your stage fright or your fear of public speaking or your anxiety um, or panic attacks, etc. So, okay. This breathing exercise works best as a preventative tool when it comes to, you know, using it on anxiety. But it also is, yeah, it's the most helpful tool I've come across for when you're like in the middle of a full-blown panic attack, full-blown anxiety situation. Um, I might also mention that if you're driving or operating heavy machinery, this is probably not a good time to practice this along with us since there are some um, breath holds involved. Okay, Jay, do you want to do this with me? Sure. Okay. I'm going to walk you through this the way I wish someone would have when I was like a young person. I wish all kids learned this type of thing in school or something. Um, that way, I don't know. I just wish I someone would have told me how to breathe properly instead of learning this as a grown-ass woman in the midst of panic and anxiety, like forcing me to do it. Uh, but maybe that's just what I needed in order to... Maybe people were trying to teach me when I was younger. I just didn't need it then, you know? We don't learn shit until we really need it. So, okay. So the first thing you want to do is put your feet flat on the floor and sit up straight. Or if even if you can lie down, that works too. Um, obviously, I was using this technique while standing on stage with a smile on my face. And, uh, you know, I seemed to pull it off without anyone noticing. So you can really do this wherever you need to if you have to. So since this might be your first time doing this type of conscious breathing, I want you to put one hand on your belly and put the other hand on your chest. Yep. Okay. So now you want to exhale naturally, let your breath out. And on your next inhale, breathe in slowly for four seconds. So breathe in through your nose and slowly begin feeling the lowest part of your lungs first. So as you breathe in, you should feel the hand on your belly begin to rise first. And as that section fills up, you'll then slowly fill up the middle of your lungs and you'll feel the hand on your chest begin to rise. And then lastly, you'll continue to inhale all the way into the very top of your lungs and you'll feel the, the like almost your shoulder area lift up. Once your lungs are... That was like 30 seconds. I know, because I, I had to explain it, so that's fine. Okay, so just we're just holding our breath right now? So so you're going to inhale for four seconds the way I just described, so like from the bottom of your belly all the way to the top, and then you're going to mm -hmm. hold the breath for eight seconds. So hold it in for eight seconds. Then you're going to exhale through your mouth slowly for seven seconds until your lungs are completely empty I think it's best to make a sound as you exhale so you can really feel the air leave your lungs. Mm -hmm. And go right into your next breath, repeating this the same way, if you can. And you want to try and do this until you get to like eight to ten of these repetitions. Sometimes it takes a few tries to get into the rhythm of it, so be patient with yourself, especially if you're in the midst of a panic attack. Um. So what I just described is called the 487 breathing method and it will it works wonders to to calm you down by taking you out of that like that fight or flight mode and essentially coaxing your body into the what's called the rest and digest mode which is it engages your parasympathetic nervous system to take over which slows your heart rate down and relaxes your muscles subconsciously um 
and actually, if you want to take this to an even deeper level by employing the same breathing techniques, but just extending it from four, eight, seven to seven, twenty-one, fourteen. So breathing in for seven seconds, holding your breath for twenty-one seconds, exhaling for fourteen seconds. If you can work your way up to that type of breath holds, and then do three to five solid repetitions of that, you're Life will change for the better, my friends. I promise. That's what I do, like daily basis as a preventative measure. measure I do the seven twenty one fourteen, three to five times in a row. You know, if possible, if you need some calm breathing in between each set, you can do that too. But it just helps you really get into that slower parasympathetic nervous system where you're calm. Yeah. So I actually do this. Um in order to fall asleep if I have too much on my mind or if I'm just restless. Mm. So I know that it works, but um, I know when I was doing it with you, I held my breath uh, longer than I was supposed to on the first breath because I was listening to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but even other times, sometimes in that first breath hold, I actually get anxiety and mm-hmm. it makes me like really worked up. But if you continue the practice um, and you, you know, complete the entire exercise you do feel really relaxed by the end so if you didn't complete it and you only did that first round with her try again yeah um it really does work i'm glad you brought that up jade because it's true i i feel like well usually i'm you know i'm trying to do it preventatively but if i'm in the midst of anxiety or panic or whatever i'm already in an anxious mode so holding your breath when you're already Mm -hmm. hyperventilating or slight hyperventilating it's going to make you feel a little bit anxious um in that panic mode so yes you have to do the whole thing yeah when i think in like second third breath even you're starting to feel better and that turns around turns that corner to calming you down really quickly so if you can Mm -hmm. get in like i said what eight repetitions or whatever Mm -hmm. awesome and also i might add that if you want to bring this technique to the next level you can do just to add more numbers throw more numbers at you um another technique which is easy to remember for me my lucky number is seven and this one is called seven twenty one fourteen so it's, it's numbers divisible by seven um breathing in for seven seconds holding for 21 seconds and exhaling for 14 seconds if you can work your way up to that and then do even just three to five of those solid repetitions your life will change for the better, my friends, I promise. Mm, yeah, I haven't heard of that one, so I'll have to try that one. Um, What's your magic? What you got? So mine's not too far off from yours. It's uh, grounding, which, you know, we've talked about before that life can be so ungrounding and you mm-hmm. can just feel a little discombobulated or scatterbrained, whatever. So that's usually because you're out of your body and you're not grounded. Um, a lot of times when you're like, forgetting the word you need or you're losing your keys or you forget why you went in a certain room, you know, things like that. That's because you're out of your body. So, um, a really important practice that I have in the morning, I'm going to give you two options for grounding. I like to do both, but the one that I do in the morning is as soon as I wake up before I even get out of my bed, I picture, um, you can picture what works best for you, but you can do like a grounding cord around your waist, Mm -hmm. which is also your root chakra. And it picture it going all the way down and connecting to the center of the planet. So 
another thing that this is useful for is like throughout the day when like, you know, you get some foreign energy or just something ticks you off or something doesn't set well with you, it can just go down your grounding cord and like recycle through the planet. Mm -hmm. But what I like to picture with that is not just the grounding cord, but I actually like to picture like the, like a tree going down. And I know Heather Ashamara mentioned this on on uh, the episode with her but instead of a cord i like to picture a tree and like the roots going around the center of the universe mm. so that's um one form of grounding that i like to do and i do that every morning uh another form of grounding that i really love which i don't do all the time because i live in texas and i don't always want to go outside in this weather and in this mosquito filled mm. um area that i live in but mm-hmm. um Sometimes when I'm like really having anxiety or panic, I'll just go outside and I'll just put my hands on the earth and I'll just breathe. And it's really crazy because if you just sit there with your hands and of course your feet on the earth and just ask for grounding from the earth, I know it sounds so hippie, but you really do feel like you really do feel grounding. And the time that I experienced this, for the first time uh, that it transformed me really was when I was on Huachuma, I was walking a labyrinth and I looked up at the moon and I was like, wow, I never realized that you were my friend. <laughs> it was like, sounded so silly. <laughs> and I like felt from the earth, I felt a lot of grounding and I like, I went down and touched it with my hands and I was like, why am I not using this resource more? Like this is free. And it like, I really felt so grounded. So it sounded so silly. And of course I was on, you know, a psychedelic, but at other times when my anxiety came up and I just went outside and I just did that, I really did feel like an electric Mm. force. So if you really, like if you open yourself up and you put your hands on the earth, you will feel that electric charge. You will feel that grounding. And I'm sure I look crazy to my neighbors that are walking in their dogs when I'm just outside, like in a frog position, like (laughs) meditating outside. (laughs) And, you know, there's like so my apartments are full of dogs so i'm i'm not even sure that this area is that sanitary but um it makes a huge difference in my life so those are my two favorite ways of grounding the grounding cord every morning um and then touching the earth as often as possible but especially in the midst of anxiety or panic attacks Ooh, magic i like that idea of just going outside and putting my feet or my hands on the ground and just asking for for the earth to speak through me. Love it. Yeah, And you can actually Google that. Like there's a lot of articles. Um, Jaya is one of my favorites. G-A-I-A um, is one of my favorite articles, but, and we'll post one on our Instagram and Facebook, but there's a lot of articles about the science behind that. So it's yeah. not just some hippie idea I had. There's like actual science about the benefits of this. Some electromagnetic field or something, yes. right? It's good is for it now? Good for I got to ask though. Is it mm-hmm. Gaia? Because I have always said it as Gaia. I know I have the like subscription to their channel or their app or whatever it is. Oh, it could be Gaia. I've heard people say it Jaya, and I was like, oh, that's my daughter. Like your daughter, yeah. You yeah. spelled different. And they said that it was Jaya. So it may be depending on your language. I don't know. Could the be dialect. Different. Okay. Cool. Yeah. We'll go with it. We'll go with it. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, yep. That's it for today's show. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope we were a light in your day and that yes. you found some value in our good friend, Ross Bolin and yes. his words. We love him so much. We are constantly reading the feedback and comments you guys send in. So thank you for that. 
And if you did find value in today's show, we would be forever grateful if you left us a review on your listening platform. And if you really like what you heard here today, please share this episode with your friends and family, further spreading the sunshine. Mm-hmm. Your love and support truly means the world to us. Talk to you guys next week. Until then, be, be a light. light. Thank you to Ross Bolin for being on our show today and to at Rayton Royal for our intro jam. And of course, thank you to Adam from Red Fox Audio for producing the show. Stay magical, friends. Quick disclaimer. We are not medical professionals, so following any of our protocols or advice should be done at your own risk, people. And please remember to always, always do your own research. Tap into that extraordinary growth mindset we all have access to within ourselves and seek out your own answers. Come on, guys, you know, you know the deal. And by the way, if you are a medical professional or an expert in any topic we cover and you feel we are not giving accurate information about it, please find somewhere to contact us. Contact us via social or email us at our website and let us know. A major goal of ours in doing this podcast is to bring value to people's lives by sharing helpful insights and info. So we welcome being corrected at any time and we'll be happy to share any of our fuck ups with our listeners so as to get us all back on track to discovering our happiest, healthiest selves. This program is a Red Fox audio production. I think we need to say be a light one more time. I feel like it was scary. <laughs> okay. One, two, three. Into, well, Wait, I'll say no, until okay. okay. Until then, be a be light. Wait, say it at the same time as me. <laughs> That's how I say it. Okay. okay. I'm trying, I can't say it like you. I'm I don't trying know how to you watch say your it. mouth, but I think there's You know a delay. how I say it. I don't know how you say okay, it. Okay, how do you do it? Be a light. Okay, ready? <laughs> Until then, be a light. (laughs) Okay. Until then, be a light. light. (laughs) (laughs) What's the issue? I don't know. Okay, ready?